Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, sports fans, welcome to the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. So excited for this episode because I've been wanting to talk about 1970s baseball, which for me was the greatest era of baseball, the 70s, the colorful uniforms and mustaches, um, and some great baseball, some just enormous baseball teams, legendary teams, legendary players. And I got a guy that, just like me, was a big baseball fan in that era. A friend of mine uh, worked with him uh, with our real jobs and also had worked with him on our fun job over at WVLP. John King, how you doing, John? I am doing great, Bill. Looking forward to being on here today. Hey, thanks a lot. I can't believe I've done 90, this will be my 95th episode, and this is my first show with John King. How did that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. God, that's almost Time like... It kind of flies by. Yeah, it's almost like the Joe DiMaggio streak. How many shows can I go without John King here doing a show? <laughs> well, you broke the streak today. Yeah, I, I finally broke the streak today. And for those of you that don't know John King, you should know John King. John King has, well, we'll have again, um, a great show on WVLP, Living It Up With John King. Um that really was a legendary show. Ten years or more, right? How many? Twelve years? Uh, almost ten. Yeah. Okay. Been, I thought it was I've over been ten. Away for sixteen months. Right. Yeah. So John would have a lot of local bands come into the studio and play live. And some of my greatest memories of being on WVLP was really not on my show. It was more or less being a guest on John's show. And one of the greatest memories I ever had was. And I still love looking at it. And I wish I got to go back on Facebook to save it. Is when we were in John's studio at WVLP with Mark Rogers. And we were singing uh, um, the Rolling Stones song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You get what you need. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun show. That was a fun show. You had lots of fun shows. Lots of great people. So, And uh, looking forward, uh, hopefully, hearing you again on that on that show, John. Yeah, May 12th is the return date. Probably going to be a little different this time. Uh, I'm going to focus more on some national acts. Yeah. And some of the newer stuff because my daughter, Casey, and my daughter, Nicole, will be uh, more involved in the show. So we'll be getting some different perspectives on music. Oh, that's great. So uh, the time is kind of up in the air yet, right? And the date kind of? Or we have the uh, date. May 12th is the date. Okay. The time is 7 to 9 on Thursday nights. Oh, still 7 to 9. I don't to rebroadcast anymore. Uh, I'll have to work that one out. Yeah, so looking forward to it, John. And um, great having you on here to talk some baseball. And John, again, you were, uh, a lot of, you were on my show a lot, Under the Radar, a lot. Yeah, and we talked sports. Lots of fun. Right. So John is a fan of not only baseball, but 
all sports and and maybe we can weave in your uh, baseball car collection into this discussion too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so feel free to throw it in there when you have when you got a rookie card you want to talk about on some of these guys. So what we're going to do on this show is this is going to be our first episode. We're going to talk baseball from 1970 to 1974, and then a whole second podcast from 75 to 79 when uh, we are family. The Pittsburgh Pirates won the 1979 World Series. So we're going to go from 70 to 79, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's kick it off here. 1970, 1970 baseball. And, uh, you know, this was uh, the year after the Miracle Mets won the World Series in 1969, which was really an unbelievable thing. I mean, they came out of nowhere and um, knocked off the knocked off the Chicago Cubs at the time in 1969. Yes, yeah, had a great team, the Cubs, back then, huh? They did. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm not a Cubs fan, so I'm <laughs> all right with it. Right. I've always right. been a White Sox fan. Right. So right around that same time, on the south side, you had you had uh, some good players, though, right? Uh, they were pretty bad. But the players, I mean, you had, was it, was <laughs> Bill Melton? Back in the 1970s, well, you had Dick Allen. Bill Melton. But he didn't really come on until seventy. Um, yeah, Tommy John back in the right. late 60s. Before Tommy John surgery. Yes, before that. Right. And one of my favorite guys, and I don't know exactly, because he, everybody, just so you know, we're, we're going to hit, we're going to be a little off on a couple things because, hey, it was 1970. This is like 50 right. year, 52 years ago. So, but anyway, one of my favorite White Sox of back in the 70s and one of the greatest nicknames was Walt No Neck Williams. Do you remember that name? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he didn't have a neck. I don't know. It's just head right. just sat on his shoulder. Yeah, Walt No Neck Williams. Awesome. A lot of great na- a lot of great nicknames back in those days, and still like a lot of great nicknames today. So, let's talk about some of the events that happened in 1970, early in the uh, baseball season. New York Mets pitcher Tom Seaver. And I remember this as a little kid. I was nine years old. I, I, now, this is going to sound stupid, but I really do remember this. Nine years old, sitting in front of the TV set. And if I remember this correctly, again, I don't have this date. I think this was a Friday night. I don't know. He strikes out 19 San Diego Padres in a row. Actually, I'm sorry, 19. He includes the last 10 in a row. Right. That is an amazing stat. It is. It is. And uh, back then, you know, the... Um, you know, the 1970 San Diego Padres weren't a great team, but still striking out 10 guys in a row is something else. One, You know, and that includes guys like Nate Colbert, who was a big hitter for them. And I think they also had Cito Gaston back then. So They did. Yeah, yeah. Before, and then he goes on and coaches uh, Toronto Blue Jays to World Series. Series. So that was, a, that was a heck of a night, and I don't believe anybody has broken that record. There's been a few people that have been close to that, but no one struck 10 out in a row. No. No, so that was... I can recall. No. But Seaver's one of the best of all time. Yeah. And I I really don't think he gets the credit that's due him. He's always kind of, you know, the stats were always great, but he was always kind of a low-key guy. Yeah, he was. And um, it's funny you say that, and I I think you're right. And it's hard to be a low-key guy, and it's hard to be kind of like, you know, taken for granted when you do play in New York. But he was. He was kind of like that. And maybe part of the problem was all those years the Mets really didn't get in 
get into the playoffs a lot. And I think maybe if people got to see him in the playoffs more, like, you know, you've seen the Reds and different teams, the Yankees in, in the 70s in right. the World Series, that's probably hurt him a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But one of the one of the craziest things that I remember, and, and I know you remember this, is Tom Seaver pitched a no-hitter when he was wearing a White Sox uniform. He did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yep. And um, the funny thing about that game, and I'll never forget it, it was Phil Rizzuto night at Yankee Stadium. And Phil Rizzuto was one of the Yankee shortstops in the heyday in the 50s. And um, it was his, it was Phil Rizzuto day. And Phil Rizzuto announced baseball for the Yankees for many, many years. And Seaver came out pitching really well. And I think it was in the third inning. And Rizzuto's announcing the game. And he said, Tom Seaver is not going to, because he was a real homer announcer, Phil Rizzuto, he goes, Tom Seaver is not going to pitch a no-hitter on my day. And he did. And he did. And, uh, yeah, and Phil Rizzuto didn't like that too much. So, keeping pace. Huh? Seaver actually, he pitched a no-hitter with Cincinnati too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. Or, you know what? Here we go. I, I don't. You know, you know, you know who I need on this show. I probably should have Chad Lincoln on this show with us. Yeah, to, to find all the, the encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I know, I know. Tom Seaver had a pretty good career too with the Cincinnati Reds for sure. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Then in uh, May of '70, uh, at Chicago Wrigley Field, Ernie Banks becomes the eighth member. There's only eight people now. Back in 1970, Ernie Banks became the eighth member of the 500 Home Run Club. And you remember, John, when we were young, hitting 500 home runs was a big deal, wasn't it? Oh, it was a huge deal. And by this time, Banks was going first base. So he's kind of, he's not that shortstop anymore. But I always liked Ernie Banks, even though I didn't like the Cubs. Yeah. Well, he's a hard guy not to like, right, Ernie Banks? Let's play, too. Let's play two and uh, very enthusiastic and, um, you know, on some bad teams, but it never seemed to bother him, right? No. No. Just went out and did his thing. Right. Now, now the, let's put it this way, right? The Ernie Banks of, well, not Ernie Banks himself, but an Ernie Banks in this era would want to be traded, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. Probably wouldn't want but to stick yeah, around. You wouldn't, wouldn't have stayed with that team. Right. Right. He'd be a free agent and sign for a bunch of money. But, um, Back then, there was only eight men who would hit over 500 home runs. And I know one of them, of course, you had Babe Ruth, probably um, Willie Mays. I, don't, I think Willie Mays would have hit 500 home runs by then. Yeah, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, right? Um, Mantle. Mantle, yeah. Yep, a few more there, more, too. Can't, yeah, can't right. Then that same uh, that same month, Hank Aaron of the Atlanta Braves collected his 3,000th career hit with an infield single as well as his 517th home run. And everybody remembers Hank Aaron for breaking Babe Root's record, but he had 3,000 hits. No one ever talks about that, right? <laughs> no. All-around great player, one of the best all-around right. players. Right. And he played forever. And, I, you know, too, he played a long time. I actually saw him in his last year. He was designated hitter for uh, Milwaukee. Oh, well, that's right. And he uh, came to the plate. He got a standing ovation. And he struck out on three pitches. And he just, you could tell he was done. 
but right. even after he struck out, he still got a standing ovation. Yeah, I mean the guy, you know, his attribute, his biggest attribute, they say, was his wrists, right? Very strong wrists, and mm-hmm. he's turned on the pitch like on a dime, and um, yeah. passed away a few years ago. And um, but what a hitter! What a hitter! And what a night that was—the night that he uh, he broke uh, Babe Ruth's record. And the crazy thing Are about you watching that because it, it was a Monday night baseball. Yeah, he, I was. Yeah. Um, they also, you know what? I was watching. From what I remember, I was watching a Mets game, and they interrupted the Mets game every time he came up to bat. When he had, you know, when he had 714, every time he came up to bat, they were uh, putting that on the TV. Like they interrupted the Mets game to show that. And I got it. And I from and I believe they were interrupting TV shows as well. Yeah, they might have been. I I remember watching it. It was Monday Night Baseball. Yeah. It was. Uh... Atlanta Braves and against the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. And everybody was, you know, wanting to get that ball, too. Yeah, Al yeah. Downing was the pitcher. Al Downing was the pitcher, that's right. That's right. So and then people were running on the field and, you know, yeah, trying to I'm, congratulate them. And it was, it, you know, Aaron did say that was scary. He was getting death threats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he was going to, you know... Broke Babe Ruth's record, right? So you can really see how, the, yeah, you can really see how the game ch- has changed, though, because like when he hits that home run, he's just rounding the base paths, Hank. Yeah, like no, no big deal. No big deal. Now guys hit home runs and they're you know celebrating halfway around the bases. Right. I mean, this guy <laughs> broke Babe Ruth's record. And he's. He's trotting around the bases, and uh, everybody was more excited about it than he was. I mean, I know he was right. excited about it, but he, and that was that was the great thing to see. And uh, yeah, the death threats and everything else that went along with that was just uh, just horrendous. But um, you know, great player, great you know. Just I mean, when you talk about 1970s baseball, the guys we've mentioned already. I mean, these are the guys that you know carried everything in the 70s. Um, here was an they interesting were real baseball players. Yeah, yeah. Now this is an interesting yeah, we can guy. Into a discussion on that. I mean, just look at the pitching back then. Oh, those guys pitched every four days. Yep. And they now, never had our problems. Yeah, they didn't have our problems, and now you got guys coming in pitching in the fifth inning. Right. That's, uh, that's the one thing I do not like about baseball these days. No, no. It, it's it's become a game of. Relief pitching, you know, your pitcher goes five innings, six innings, and now you got three or four relief pitchers. And it's kind of a funny thing, and me and my friend, we always talk about this, how kind of ridiculous it all is, is that in anything, in anything, right, aren't you better off having one pitcher who's hot on a given night pitch throughout the game instead of having like four relievers? Because all you need is one of those four to have a bad night and you lose. Yeah, think if you're that pitcher. And it happens often. Yeah. You know, they're all trying to get to the closer, but what happens if the seventh inning guy messes things up? You never get to the closer. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It really is crazy. And the names, right? You have Bob Gibson and, you know, um, we can go on forever. Steve Carlton, Jim Palmer, John Sutton, all these guys, Phil Negro. But like when you back then when you were gonna watch a baseball game, you said to yourself, I'm here, 
I'm not watching the Mets and the Cardinals. I'm watching Tom Seaver versus Bob Gibson. Well, you yeah. Know. Well, think about it. Now you can just throw on your computer and you can watch every baseball game there is. Right. Back then, you had limited. I mean, we had the Cubs that WGN played every game on TV. The White Sox were on UHF. So you had to try to dial it in and get them, and they weren't on that much. And then you had Saturday afternoon baseball, and you had Monday night baseball when it came on. Yep. So it was like an event for a kid like me. I looked forward to all that. And then every Saturday morning, you'd get This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen, and you find out really what happened throughout the week. I mean, I always was into the papers looking at the box scores. Right. But then you get to see those highlights because there was no ESPN and, you know, local news wasn't playing a lot of the highlights, playing some of them, but. Yeah. And so that, it, was a, it was just a different time. Uh, it was a different time. And, yeah. And a couple of things to add on to what you're saying. Um, and it makes, you know, this is a great time to talk about this is the fact that we, you know, like you said, you knew the Cubs. Like I, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, so this is pretty good. You're in the Midwest, I'm on the East Coast. So all I got a chance to see were Yankee games and Mets games. And I didn't even know what these guys looked like. I couldn't tell you what Lou Brock looked like. I couldn't tell you what any of these guys looked like because you never really saw them. But so the great thing was, now we're going to talk a little car collecting, is that, you know, by getting the cars, you said, oh, this is what, you know, then you saw their faces, right? And that's because you didn't see them play. Yeah, so you discovered who they were, and then, like, when you went to a baseball game, of course, if you're a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan or a Mets or a Yankees fan, you want to see your own guys on your own teams play, but it gave you a chance, because like you said, there was no ESPN, there was not all this baseball. Saturday baseball, um, you know, Mel Allen's highlights, you know, and, t- and then Saturday base- Saturday baseball, I think it was, was Kubiak, right? Kubiak and Garagiola. Right, those guys... That would be like something you don't want to miss because it was, hey, I can watch this. You know, it was a big deal. But so my dad would say, you know, my dad would take me to a baseball game and he would say, oh, we're going to see Willie Mays play tonight. We're going to see Willie Willie McCovey play tonight. Juan Marichal. So like that kind of like you went to the game to see these guys and then you would go to batting practice because these guys were larger than life back then because, you know, they weren't on TV all the time. Yeah. I remember the first major league game I went to. Well, the first one I was supposed to go to was in like 1974. My dad was going to take me. And it got rained out. It was against the California Angels at that time. Yeah. I was so upset. And so we got other tickets and we went. So I got to see the Yankees and the White Sox play. And the very first pitch of the game. Bobby Bonds was leading off for the Yankees. Yeah. And he hit a home run. Wow. And then the Yankees went on to destroy the White Sox that night. <laughs> but but I re, I'll always remember that, you know, the very first pitch of the game. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. And as a little kid, it was so, it's always disappointing when you want to go to a baseball game and it's rained out. Right. Yeah. Maybe uh, Nolan Ryan was pitching that night. You missed the California game. Uh, he might have been. Yeah. I, 
You could have embellished the story, John. Yeah, I could have. <laughs> I saw Nolan Ryan. So. Nolan Ryan, yeah. That would have been something. Because, man, he had some good years with the Angels. Whew. Yes, he definitely yeah. did. Still the worst trade the Mets ever made, trading Nolan Ryan away for Jim Fergosi. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, June, yeah, back, yeah, back to 1970. Here's okay. a guy, right? Doc Ellis. Remember Doc Ellis of the Pittsburgh Pirates? No hits the San Diego Padres, two to nothing. Um, well, he was a strange dude anyway. He was. And he, and, uh, yeah. and he claimed he was under the influence of LSD when he pitched that no-hitter. Yeah, that that's amazing. Yeah. You should try to put yourself in, in his head at that time. Yeah. What, what the hell was he thinking? Really was one of the first so-called, you know, I'm, I'm being a little uh, harsh, I guess, but the bad boys of baseball, right? He was, yeah. He was a different. He was a different guy. Yeah, but he, he was a good pitcher. Good pitcher yes, he was. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then in June, the Cincinnati Reds played their last game at Crosley Field, and John and we can probably talk about this too. This 1970s was the era where all the astroturf fields started to come in, right? Right. Riverfront Stadium, which I actually went to when, uh, yeah, I suppose probably the early 80s but mm-hmm. it was a interesting stadium i remember sitting up in the upper deck and i felt like i was gonna fall wow it, yeah it was so angled yes it was i i went to a game there yeah it was definitely angled up there and from what i remember it was a long time when I, ago i went to riverfront stadium but it was sort of like sitting up high in the air too wasn't it the whole stadium yeah it was it was i mean it was it was great to go there yeah but that's when I started. Th- what did you think of AstroTurf baseball? I didn't like it. Yeah. The I bull- did not like it. You didn't get a good. You didn't get a true hop off of it. No. Uh, no. Grass any day. Yeah. And remember the little slide boxes? They, you know, those little slide boxes. Yeah. Yeah. There's dirt around the first base, you know, bag and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, it, just, like, it just wasn't. No. No, but, it, it you know, but Riverfront did open in 1970 uh, with the Reds losing to the Braves. And that same year, the Pirates played their last game at Forbes Field, and they ended up then playing at Three River Stadium. So you had Riverfront Stadium, AstroTurf. You had, the, you had Pittsburgh was playing it at Three River. Then eventually later on, the Phillies opened up the vet, and that was AstroTurf. Yep. Right. And and then in, and then in, eventually in Montreal, you have the Olympic Stadium. Yep. But the American yeah, League kind of yeah, the Astrodome. That's right. But the American League, it seemed like took it took a long time for the American League to catch on with that. Yeah, it did. You know, some of those b- was a good thing. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was a good thing, right? Clyde Wright that year pitches a no hitter for for uh, California Athletics one four to nothing and Clyde Wright was a decent pitcher but he was playing in the shadow of Nolan Ryan on the Cal Angels. Well, then he went to Texas. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not long after that. Yeah. Then he just kind of fizzled. You remember the caps they used to wear with the halo around them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cool, right? So, July Riverfront uh, Stadium has the All-Star Game, and this is the infamous All-Star Game. 
And I keep yes. I keep going back to this All Star game when I watch an All Star game now, where all the players are hugging each other and just having the times of their lives. And you know, we had the one year where they they uh, stopped playing the game because they ran out of players. And now the All Star yeah. game is just a fun fest. But back then, it you know it really meant something back in 1970. The All Star game, right? Yeah, it definitely did. Yeah. And. You had Pete Rose, the infamous play at home where he took Ray Fossey out, which is right. very controversial. Right. But that was Rose. That was Rose. And, uh, you know, and it's now, you know, with the story now is, you know, when you look at this, when you looked at this 15 years later, Ray Fossey was a never, never the same player. No, he wasn't. He, After that he hit. Go down hill a little. Now he still was a good defensive player catcher but right. uh, he never hit great again yeah you know I, I watched that and I still don't think you know my opinion I don't know if, I don't think he did any did anything real did he I don't think he did anything yeah, wrong you wouldn't see a guy coming in like that now no you wouldn't see it now I mean, it was just being Pete Rose well that's just it right so when he's rounding yeah. third base everybody in the stadium and every player in the dugout knew that Pete Rose was going to try to score a run any way he could. Yeah. So you knew that was going to happen, and yeah, it's just uh, it's memorable. It is memorable, and and I always go back to that when I talk about, like I said, how it is now because now it's just become really. It's like no, they don't care who wins the game now, right? Pretty much. Right. Right. And you got like thirty-seven players playing in the well, game. Well, it did mean a little something about the home field advantage for uh, yeah the World Series. I don't know. It's just, it's different. It's just different, right? Every It's a lot more touchy-feely now. And back then, the stories were like the Reds and the Dodgers hated each other because every year they were playing to see who wins that division. And when the All-Star came around, none of those guys even talked to each other on the Dodgers or Cincinnati in the dugout. Yeah. Like, you know, Rose wasn't talking to Steve Garvey and Joe Morgan wasn't talking to Don Sutton. There was a lot of... And you don't see that stuff anymore. These guys are making too much money now, right? <laughs> you know, and, and you talk about things like that, you know. A guy like Bob Gibson, if you hit a home run off of him, you knew you were going to get knocked down. Oh, or yeah. Hit. Right. I mean, you know, now these pampered players, I'm going to call them that. Yep. If you did that to them now, they would, you know, go crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, we, yeah, we see it all the time. Yeah. Yep. That's for sure. Willie Mays hit his uh, 3,000 uh, base hit in, in, in uh, 1970, July 18th. So there's another 300,000, uh, 300, the 3,000 hit uh, for uh, yep. Willie Mays. Well, one of the greatest of all time. Yep. And he's still living. He's 90 years old. He's having another birthday yep. this coming May. So good for him. The Los Angeles Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Pitcher Bill Singer throws a no-hitter against the Phillies. So a lot of no-hitters in 1970. See, I remember Bill Singer uh, mainly being on the California Angels. Yeah, right. I guess he was on the Dodgers. Yeah, he was on the Dodgers before then. And then September at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, Vita Blue of the Oakland Athletics no-hits Minnesota 6 to nothing. The only base runner coming on Harmon Killebrew's second inning walk. So he almost had a perfect game, Vita Blue. And Vita Blue, yeah, right? Perfect year. 
Yeah. Yep. Invita Blue, of course, was part of that whole amazing A's team of the 70s, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, yeah I have a little story about that. You want to do uh, it now or later? Well, it's just, you know, I the A's, after they won the World Series, well, a friend of mine, you know, I was in first grade, and his dad went to, because Charlie Finley was from LaPorte. Right. And he had a big farm here. <clears throat> LaPorte, Indiana, yep. I don't know if you you go down the toll road and he had the Oakland A's painted on the top of the barn. Wow! So you knew where he was at. Yeah. Uh, but they he had something here, and uh, one of my friends got to go to the uh, meet and greet there. There was some of the players, and he brought me a amazing A's pennant with, uh, and it was signed by Catfish Hunter. Wow. And I, you know, I was, I was blown away by it and I don't know what happened to that pennant, but yeah, I'll always remember him bringing that to me and I had all the players listen on it and Catfish Hunter wow. signed it. And so I, I was an A's fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's kind of weird in this area. I knew, uh, like Ray Fossey mm-hmm. is, I went to school with. His nephew. Oh, wow. And then Steve Carlton. I went to school with his nephew. <laughs> wow. So they're so all I from, went, this is all, they're all from Indiana. No, I mean, they, the, or, the siblings ended up in Indiana. Oh, I see. Not from Indiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, they all ended up here. Yeah. So it was kind of, uh, no. Steve Carlton's nephew was one of my best friends growing up, so I was more involved in that. Wow. With him. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of a... Because I remember the Ray Fossey thing. It was a couple years later. I was We were talking about it, and the one guy said, yeah, that's my uncle. And I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> no, it's my mom's brother. Wow. Yeah, that's something. Small world, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with Carlton. But yeah. I got to meet Carlton numerous times. Yep. When he was on St. Louis, or when he was playing or after he played? No, when he was playing. Was oh, really. wow. Yeah. Great career and uh, one of the best of all time, really, in terms of yep. left-handed pitcher, him and Randy Johnson. Yep. When you look at the strikeout numbers, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I probably told you this story on how strong he was. To He would always have two ball bearings in his hand, just rotating them. Oh, wow. And he they actually showed us how he would work out. It was a little bit different then. They'd have a metal garbage can full of rice, and they would have to drive their arm down into the rice, and he was the only one that could make it to the bottom. Wow. So that tells you how, you know, you think about that. Yeah. Uh, how strong he was. Wow. Because I actually tried to do it, and I could get, like, a couple inches in. Yeah, that's something. Wow. Yeah, but, so I... It's probably why he pitched so long. I got to meet him, I got to meet Mike Schmidt, and a, a lot of the Phillies. Oh, wow, that's interesting how you got to meet all those Phillies, yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, Mike Schmidt. Wow. That's awesome. All right, so let's talk about 1970, the playoffs for the third time in the in in the 1970s World Series. The Orioles overcome a 3-0 deficit to bury the Cincinnati Reds 9-3 and win the World uh, World Championship four games to one. Frank Robinson and Merv Rentman each homered and drove in two runs. Third baseman Brooks Robinson, the human vacuum cleaner, easily wins the uh, MVP award. And um, <clears throat> that was a great, you know, Orioles team. It, it's really... It was. Yeah, and really, it's a template, really, that whole team, because you have four... You had great starting pitching, and um, basically, you know, their deal was get good starting pitching and then hit home runs and win the game. That's how they won games. Yeah, yeah, Boot Powell. Yeah. I always liked him because I liked his name. Yeah. But if there was anybody that never really looked like a baseball player, it's Boot Powell. Right. <laughs> My opinion. Yeah. Big dude. Yeah, real big dude. And, um, you know, then you had Davey Johnson at second, who ends yep. up, you know, becoming a Mets manager many years later. And then you had Mark Belanger, and that guy was a great fielding. He couldn't hit that couldn't much. Hit. Great fielder. And then Brooks Robinson at a third base, you know, the human vacuum cleaner. And he made some unbelievable plays. Go back and go to YouTube and watch some of the plays he made in that World yeah, Series. Yeah. And then you have one of the greatest fielding outfielders of, of their time was uh, Paul Blair in center field. Right. You had Don Buford. Hitter, yeah. Don Buford and then leading off on that team, and then you had uh, Frank Robinson. What, 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 I don't need to say anything else, right, Frank Robinson? No, you don't. <laughs> but you know they were on they were uh, they were on a war path that year because the year before they lost to the Mets in the World Series. Well, they always had some great pitching. They did. They had you know Jim Palmer, Mike Cuellar, Dave McNally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they were loaded with pitching, and and of course Earl Weaver, right? <laughs> yep. Fire plug. Right, That's nothing got. He was. He always looked like he was mad. Yeah. Three guys I always think of. Right, you think of Earl. Well, in terms of fire plugs, you had. You had Earl Weaver, Billy Martin, right, and who was mm-hmm. and who was the third one? I had. I had three of these guys. Who was the other one I'm missing here? Whitey Herzog was like that. Whitey Herzog. Well, yeah, Whitey Herzog. Oh, Leo DeRosha. DeRosha. Williams was a great manager for the A's. Oh, Dick Williams, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of great managers in the 70s. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, Chuck uh, Chuck Tanner, he coached, won a yep. World Series White with. Sox. Right, and then he won a World Series as the manager for the 79 Pittsburgh Pirates. Right. Sparky Anderson, right, with the big red machine. Oh, yeah. How can we forget him? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good ones there. Um and uh, what Bill, um, Chuck Tanner with the yeah we talked about Chuck Tanner with the Pirates too yeah, yep. Yeah. All right, so that so they win, but before they won, you know the Orioles knocked off the Minnesota Twins, and another great name we got to mention him. How do you not mention Harmon Killebrew and Rod Carew, right? Right. I mean, let's talk about Rod Carew for a minute. When you're growing up, when you went to the when you went to the box score and said who was the top ten in batting. I think there may have been a whole decade went by where Rod Carew every year is on top of that, wasn't he? Though it seemed right. like, not, yep, not not a power guy, but hit great average. Right, hit put the ball. I guess it hit it where they're not. Right. Yeah, and he really could do that. And then Harmon Killebrew with a lot of power. Yep. Tony Oliva, that team there, um, probably didn't have. Team. 
yeah, it was a good team, but not, not they couldn't compete with the Orioles. And then you had the Pirates and the Reds, and that was always a battle, right? Cincinnati and Pittsburgh back then. Yeah, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and you had Oakland, right. the American League, yeah, and Baltimore. Right. Back in 1970, I mean, you had uh, Willie Stargell. You had uh, Roberto Clemente. Those were some great pirate teams, too, back then. Richie Hebner and the rest of those guys, yeah. Then, then you had the Yankees start to come back up. Right, in there. right. So in 70, the most valuable player was your guy, Boog Powell. Boog Powell. Right. And then the most valuable player is... kind of uh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't... I don't recall him being that. MVP type player. But yeah. Yeah. And then in the, was, in, right. And then we had Johnny Bench was, was the MVP winner in the uh, National League. And Johnny Bench, you know, I mean, you talk about. A big year. Yeah. You talk about a guy who can, you know, hit. You know, you had, you had Yogi Berra, right? Who won those World Series for the Yankees. But, you know, post Yogi Berra, there wasn't a catcher who could hit and who can field. And Johnny Bench came came in there and then later on it's Carl and Fisk but Johnny Bench was like of its he was one of us of his time right I mean another guy who can hit and he can catch well I can't think of a catcher who was better than Johnny Bench yeah yeah seriously yeah I mean yeah you know there's you can go through them but you know we got Johnny Bench right I mean all around <laughs> hitting and defense yeah Bench by far. Yeah, Johnny Bench. That's right. Cy Young winners were Jim Perry, Gaylord's brother, Jim Perry, and Bob Gibson. And Rookie of the Year in 1970 was Thurman Munson. Who was, another great catcher. Yeah, another great catcher who tragically died at the end of right. end of the 70s, uh, operating his plane. And then, and then on the East Coast, the discussion was always... Who's better, Thurman Munson or Carlton Fisk? And as a Red Sox fan, I was always partial to Carlton Fisk. But as you know, but unfortunately, Munson, you know, didn't play longer than obviously 1979. But Fisk really came on after that. You know, those years that you know in the 80s with the White Sox and everything else. Right. Yeah. So it was hard to hard to hard to compete with 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 him there. Right. So. Um, Let's see. What else could we talk about? I, I don't remember Carl Morton, the NL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he was a pitcher so for the Expos. No, no, not much after that, Carl Morton. I, I remember his baseball card. He had a baseball card, and he had the Expos jersey, and underneath his jersey had like a plastic suit on with long sleeve plastic sh- shirt. <laughs> Do you remember? I have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, Carl Morton, right? And uh, some of the stat leaders, Alex Johnson won the batting title. Rico Cardi won. That was won. probably his best year. He wasn't really a no over 300 hitter most of the time. Rico Cardi had some great years. Yeah, Rico Cardi that year about a 366. That's a great year, yeah. Yeah, and then home runs. Look at these home runs, guys, in the American League. Frank Howard, right? I mean, was there anybody bigger than Frank Howard? No. <laughs> Powell might have been fatter. Right. Think of the sizes of these guys. At one time in baseball, you had Boog Powell, Frank Howard, and and Willie McCovey playing. (laughs) Yeah. 
guys were like Willie Stargell. Willie Stargell, yeah. These guys are big dudes. And then Johnny Bench hit 45 home runs that year. <laughs> and 448 RBIs. Yeah, that's nuts, huh? So here's yeah. a stat for everybody that watches baseball now. In the American League, listen, oh, this is amazing, right? Mike Cuellar and Dave McNally for the World Championship Orioles both won 24 games. Right. On the same team. On the same that team. Goes back to the pitchers pitching. Yeah. You know, they started 40 games a year. Right. Yeah, and then Bob Gibson had 23, and he was tied with Gaylord Perry with 23 wins. A spitballer, right? Yep. Yeah. Perry Brothers had a great year there. Yep. And then an ERA, here's a name that we didn't hear too much of in the 70s, but this guy, I remember this guy, and he became a pretty good reliever, Diego Segui. Right. Led the American League with a 2.56 ERA, and then Tom Seaver led the National League with 2.82. And another name from the past, strikeout, Sudden Sam McDowell, huh? Yeah, read ball four. Did yeah. You read that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some good Sam McDowell stories. Yeah. There. 304 strikeouts. <laughs> yep. Right. Tom Seaver, 283, led the National League. And uh, and again, you know, the Orioles win the World Series. But, um, you know, that division they were in that year wasn't very competitive. The Yankees came in second. They were 15 games out. And the West, Minnesota, knocked, you know, was better nine games better than uh, the Minnesota Twins. And your Chicago White Sox, uh, John, in 1970, lost 106 games. Yeah, they were bad. Yeah. 42 games out of first were the White Sox. In the National League, the Cubs gave uh, the Pirates a run. They only they were in second place five games out. Mets were six out. And Cincinnati kind of ran away there, 14 and a half games over uh, the Dodgers. And the, right. uh, Yeah. And the two worst teams in baseball in the American League were the White Sox and then San Diego in the uh, National League. You know, the Sox were the worst team in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, they were. All right, so we're going to go to 1971 now. So you got the Baltimore Orioles as the world's cha- world champion going into the 71 season. And we've got a new stadium we, in Philadelphia, John. The Vet is now open. The Vet's open. Right. Another AstroTurf field, and I used to go to the vet to see the Mets play, and I really learned at a very young age uh, what it was like having to deal with people from Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, they've got a great reputation. Well, New York and Philly makes uh, some interesting occurrences, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 just... Uh, just getting berated in the parking lot. A couple times, you know, a couple of my friends ended up getting in fights. And, but, you know, what was always good about going to a game in Philly. They had the best pretzels in the Philly cheesesteaks. So that kind yeah. of made up for it. So the beginning of the year in April, Hank Aaron became the third player in Major League Baseball history. He hit 600 home runs. Right. So he's in the 600 club now, Hank Aaron. And now he's heading towards... 714 on his right. way, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then in June, this is a pitcher, Kenny Holtzman, who went on also and played for the A's. But uh, right. Kenny Holtzman, pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, throws his second no hitter of his career, victimizing the Reds 1 nothing. 
Holtzman scores the only run unearned in the third inning to beat Reds pitcher Gary Nolan. So that was a crazy game, huh? I actually remember watching that game. Yeah. And Kenny Holtzman was a pretty good lefty, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Cubs had a good team. They just could never put it together. Yeah. Yeah, they had a hard time putting it together. Well, you know, they had 69 was the year for them. But but also back then, you only had four teams getting in the playoffs, too. Right. So you don't have what it, you know, you don't have what you have now. Yeah, you don't have eight. Yeah, so it, it's a lot tougher, a lot tougher for these teams now. But Ken Holtzman, you know, then he goes on and does well for the A's. I think he was on the World Series teams. Yeah. And then June 23rd, I never even knew who this guy was until he until he did this. Rick Wise of the Philadelphia yep, Phillies. No hits the Reds, right? Right. Four to nothing. And he then he hits two. Too. Right. Uh, two home runs, right? Yeah. And I think in that era, he was the best hitting hitting uh, pitcher. Rick yeah, Wise. Philadelphia wasn't that great, but yeah, had some good players. Right, so then we go to the All-Star game featuring home runs by future Hall of Famers. Now listen to the guys that hit home runs in this All-Star game. Hank Aaron, Johnny Bench, Roberto Clemente, Reggie Jackson, Harmon Killebrew, Frank Robinson, and the American League triumph 6-4 to four at Tiger Stadium. It is the only All-Star victory between 1962 and 1983 for an American League team, which is nuts. Yeah, that was. It was a long run there. Right. And Reggie Jackson's famous home run goes 520 feet. And uh, Frank Robinson ended up the MVP. But that's the highlight of that game was that Reggie Jackson home run at at Tiger yeah. Stadium. And I think they even painted the seat yep. that he hit it in, in old Tiger Stadium. And that was way up there. That was a cool place, Tiger it Stadium. was a blast. So you you were there many times, or no? I I actually just drove by oh. uh, Tiger Stadium. I never went in. But yeah, that, that was a bad neighborhood. Yeah, and they ended up and then they ended up leaving and moving away there. But uh, mm -hmm. crazy, crazy. That was look at that. Like I said, I rattle, rattle off the names of guys that hit home runs in All Star games. It's crazy. Paul Emerson. Yeah, Harmon Killebrew became the tenth player to to hit 500 home runs. So Harmon Killebrew's in the 500 home run club, right? That's a guy that nobody really talks about much, right? Homer Killebrew. No, because it's Minnesota. You didn't yeah, really... right. Played first base. Played a little third base, too, along the way there. Yeah. Yep. And then in August, the St. Louis uh, Cardinals pitcher Bob Gibson no-hits the Pirates 11 to nothing. So Bob Gibson gets, a, gets himself a no-hitter. And then September of that year, Frank Robinson becomes the 11th player to reach 500 career home runs. A lot of milestones. A lot. Yep. A lot of great players. Yep. September 26th, Orioles pitcher Jim Palmer shuts out uh, host Cleveland Indians 5-0 and becomes, and again, this is nuts, becomes the fourth member of the 1971 pitching staff to notch his 20th victory, joining McNally, Cuellar, and Pat Dobson. I forgot about Pat Dobson, yeah. Yeah. Four guys on one team with 20 wins. Never see that again. Yeah, the only time that you saw that was close was when the White Sox, actually, in 83. Is that right? Yeah. 
had uh, Lamar Hoyt, Britt Burns. I'm trying to think of the other two guys, but I think there was three of them that were 20 game winners. Wilbur wasn't on that team, was he? Wilbur Wood was far gone, right? Yeah, he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's something. Um, And then 1971. Pitcher Steve Blast throws a four-hitter and Roberto Clemente homers as the Pirates now win Game 7 of the World Series over the Orioles. So the Orioles go back to the World Series but lose to the Pirates. And um, it was the first uh, World Series victory for the Pirates since 1960 when Bill Mazeroski hit that famous home run in Game 7 against the New York Yankees. So the Pirates are now World Series and Clemente is named uh, the series MVP. Uh, Game four was played on October 13th. It was the first night game in World Series history, John. And maybe that's where everything went bad, started to go bad, right? Maybe. Because that's when all, you know, because they did it for the money. Yeah. Right. But night games were, you know, when they did the first night games, they were, it was something to see. Yeah. Yeah, it was something to see. And, uh, you know, well, because let's face it, we were in school, right, during those playoff games. Right. So you couldn't see the game. So at night you were able to see those games. Most valuable player that year was Vita Blue of the Oakland Athletics. And good old Joe Torre, most valuable player for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, a lot of people forget or don't even, you know, you look at Joe Torre, you don't really think of it. But the guy was a great baseball player. He was a catcher and a third baseman, yeah. first baseman. Yeah. Yeah, played for, played for a long time, played for several teams, too. Atlanta and St. Louis is who I remember. Yeah, he played for the Mets as well. And then he ends up managing uh, all over the place, too. Right. Yeah. Cy Young Award winner was Vita Blue of the Oakland Athletics. Well, Vita Blue had probably one of the best years for a pitcher. Yep, yep. Wins the uh, MVP and the Cy Young. And Fergie Jenkins wins the, uh, the Cy Young in the, Amer- in the National League. Yeah, people forget how good of a pitcher Fergie Jenkins was. Yep, yep. Rookie of the year was Chris Chambliss of the Cleveland Indians, and I have a Chris Chambliss story. Because when I was going to college, now this is this is many years later, I will say. I'm not that old. Many years later, I'm sitting in class at Montclair State University, and I look to my left, and Chris Chambliss is in my class. He was taking classes while he was playing for the Yankees. Oh, really? Yeah. I was afraid to go up to him and talk to him. But uh, at the time, I was like 19 years old, but I, I guess I could have went up mm-hmm. to him. But yeah, he was sitting in my class, and here I he's got I got Chris Chambliss in my class. Wow. And Errol Williams. Remember Errol Williams, the catcher? Yeah. Yep, I sure do. He probably got his rookie card. I do. Yeah. He didn't last too long, though. <laughs> no, he had a couple good years, though. Yeah, he did. He did. He, I, I don't know what happened to his knees. Or... Yeah, he was a hitter. Mm-hmm. Yep. We could look at some of the averages. He had Tony Oliva um, in the American League, won the batting title 337, and good old Joe Torre batted 363 that year. Right. Yeah. And the White Sox guy won the American League home run. Right. Uh, it's actually a low count, 33. Right. And that's Bill Melton, right? Right. 
Right, Belton, Bill Melvin. And then Bill, Willie Star. Did I say it wrong? No, you're oh, right. Oh, I got it. Okay. Bill, Bill Melvin. That's right. And, you know, I used to like those uniforms. You know what? I, I, to this day, give me those red pinstripe socks uniforms. No, I agree with you. I don't know why they ever let those that go. Best. Yeah, they were the best. Bring them back. I, well, they do every once in a while, but they should keep them. Yeah, just keep them. You know, they keep, you know, all these, like, just just stick with that one. Get rid of, you know, get, put everything else away. All the black pinstripes and the hats and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where did we leave off? Her, uh, Willie Stargell, 48 home runs in the National League, won the title there. Har yep. Yeah. I'll tell you what. When I was a kid watching a Mets game, I was scared shitless. When Willie Starzl would come up to bat, because yeah. it'd be like, "Oh man, we're gonna win!" And then here, because Willie Starzl comes up in the ninth inning, I'm like, "Oh man, we're gonna, how are we gonna get him out?" <clears throat> so he was always a dangerous hitter. Very intimidating. I mean, he was a good guy, a nice guy, funny guy, but like when he's up at the plate, he used to scare the heck out of me. Because the way he used to swing, he used to swing that bat in the in the in, right. Yeah, like he looked like a hitter. I mean, he just looked like a hitter. You know, some guys come up. When he comes up, you know he's a hitter. Harmon Killebrew, 119 RBIs. Joe Torrey had 137 RBIs. Wow. He had a great year. <clears throat> 363 and 137 ribbies for Joe Torrey. Wins. I love this. Mickey Lolich, 25 wins for Mickey Lolich from Detroit. And there's Fergie Jenkins again. Yep, Fergie Jenkins, 24. Vita, look at these ERAs. Vita Blue, 1.82. And Tom Seaver, 1.76 ERA on the season. Wow. That's some good stuff there. You don't, you don't see many ERAs that low anymore. No. He had DeGrom last year, but he didn't play the full season. Yeah. So yeah. And then Ron Guidry, I think, had a, a low one for the Yankees in his day, but. Yeah, you don't oh, see much yeah, of that. Yeah, he won 25 games. Yeah. 25-3. Right. So the Orioles win the division. We you know ended up losing the World Series to the Pirates. They, the Tigers were in second, 12 games out. And then Oakland. Oakland won 101 games, but ended up losing the divisional series to Baltimore. They won 101 games to Oakland. And this is the, this is the buildup of the Oakland A's of the 70s now. Right. Yeah. And then the Pirates, of course, win the World Series. The Cardinals with Joe Torre with that big year with seven games out. And again, the Cubs, like you said, John, 83 and 79, you know, over 500, but third place. And the San Francisco Giants had a good year. They, were, they won 90 games, but again, lost to uh, the Pirates in the uh, divisional round. And um, so there we have that. Got that in. We can keep moving. We'll we'll uh, we'll do one more here. We'll do 1972, and then we're going to come back with another show and keep going with 70s baseball. All right. Sound good? Yeah, sounds yep. great. So the 72 season starts, and this is John. Remember the 72 baseball cards? They were really gaudy. That's well, that's my favorite year of baseball cards. Yeah, I love those cards. Yeah, because of the in action cards. I right, right. Yeah, the in action cards and. One of them is really cool, and I can't remember. All I remember is that crazy, like, A's uniform with the green sleeves. It might have been the Yankee. Yeah. It might have been might have been Thurman Munson's in action card against the A's. They, they were all great cards. I, I that that's by far my favorite yeah. cards. 
1972. So in April 16th at Wrigley Field, Bert Hooten of the Chicago Cubs no-hits the Philadelphia Phillies. And if everybody remembers his pitch, he had what was called a knuckle curveball. Yeah, he ended up going <laughs> to the Dodgers. Yeah, he ended up going to the right. He went to the Dodgers and had it and pitched really well for them too. May 11th, the San Francisco Giants. This was a good day for me. They traded Willie Mays to the New York Mets for a minor league pitcher, Charlie Williams, in cash. Yeah, Willie was at the end of it. He was. He, it looked pretty bad then, too. Yeah. Well, the Mets did this because, you know, the Mets were just struggling a little bit. But then he then he was on the 73 team that went to the World Series. But yeah, it was true. It was sort of a marketing deal. Willie Mays, I think, was about 43 now. It was sort of a marketing deal for the Mets. And let's face it, seeing, you know, if you're a Mets fan and now you see Willie Mays in a Mets uniform, that was something to see. So everybody was happy about that. And I will never forget this, May 14th, and I remember this, man, in front of a Mother's Day crowd of 35,000 at Shea Stadium, Willie Mays makes his uh, appearance on the Mets and hits a game-winning homer. How, how does that work against his old team, the Giants? Yeah. I mean, that's... that's that's classic. That is classic. That is classic. And, you know, as a Mets fan, you're thinking, oh, now the season's going to change. Now we got Willie Mays and everything's going to be fantastic. But the Mets, you know, still fell short that year. But that was something to see. Also, a yeah. Philadelphia Phillies rookie, and this was a big dude, Greg Luzinski, blasts a 500-foot homer off right. the Liberty Bell at the vet. <laughs> yeah, he was. Ended up coming to the... White Sox, too. Right. DH. And I, what I remember about Greg Luzinski more than anything, his thighs were, like, massive. Yeah, he was. He, he was had big. a big lower body that he just used to get a lot of torque with that lower body and, and stepping mm -hmm. in. Yeah, get, hitting that ball. He was he was something. Had a pretty good run with the Phillies, right? Right. And, and like you said, the White Sox. July 24th, Leo DeRocha steps down as manager of the Cubs and is replaced by Whitey Lockman. So, Louis the Lip is gone in 1972. Yep. Yeah. July 25th at Atlanta Stadium, the National League wins the All-Star Game over the American League, 4-3 behind hometown hero Hank Aaron's two-run homer and Joe Morgan's 10th inning RBI single. Morgan is named MVP. It is the seventh time the Classic has gone into extra innings, and we could talk a little bit about Joe Morgan. And he was a player too, wasn't he? second baseman he was and um in 1970 yeah yeah and bad trade by the houston astros right right getting rid of him it was a big trade i remember there's a lot of people involved but one of them was joe morgan and joe morgan ends up becoming one of the catalysts of the big red machine and in 1975 he had a great world series knocking off the, the boston red sox and then he also won another one against the yankees but Joe Morgan, yeah, he's right up there. If not, you know, he's right in the class picture of best second basements of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And the thing that, that stood out with him is he hit the long ball more than most second basements. Right. You know. September 2nd, Wrigley Field, Chicago Cup pitcher Mel Pappas. No hits the San Diego Padres, 8 to nothing. Pappas retires the first 26 batters and comes to within one strike of a perfect game with a 2-2 count to pitch... Pitch hitter Larry Stahl, but home plate umpire Bruce Froeming calls the next two pitches 
both of which are close balls. Milt Pappas, right? Yeah, I yeah. remember him. Yeah. I don't remember the game, but I remember Milt Pappas. Yeah, so I got a Milt Pappas story because many, many years later, I'm at a White Sox game, and this guy says to me, you see that? Now, this is in my row. And I mean, now you would, I mean, this is, this goes to show you what people thought, you know, of 1970 baseball players, because a retired baseball player now wouldn't be sitting next to me. So, yeah. So he goes, look, you see that guy over there? He goes, that's Milt Pappas. I said, get out of here. He goes, yeah, that's Milt Pappas. You know, he was on the Cubs. He threw no hitter and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. So. Here I am, right? I weasel my way over. Close. I don't know what happened. I think maybe somebody left the game. He was sitting there with his family. So I went over and he signed my, I had a White Sox program and he autographed it for me. Great. Yeah, Milt Pappas, right? And I was like, I almost didn't believe the guy because I'm thinking like, why would Milt Pappas be sitting next to me? But he was. Yeah, but, but back then those guys weren't making a lot of money, right? So. Right. Yeah, yeah. September 8th, Fergie Jenkins wins his 20th game for the sixth straight year. I mean, what kind of record is I mean, what kind of is that, huh? Fergie's, I'm telling you, he's one of the best pitchers. Yeah, he really was. And what was so great about him was he just hung in there. He never, he just hung in there, right? I mean, some of the innings, you know, he got two batters on, but he'd find a way to get out of those innings with no runs and and, and keep the the Cubs ahead and winning win all these games. I mean, winning. Six straight years of 20 wins is something else. Yeah, that's quite the feat. Yeah. Now you can't even have a guy get 15 for six years would be a lot. Yeah, you don't have many 20-game winners anymore. Right. All right, John, this is your guy, too, now. September 15th, lefty Steve yep. Carlson. Carlton beats the Expos 5-3, raising his record to 24-9. and The rest of the Phillies pitchers combined for a record of 26-80. and the Phillies team was awful, but Carlton had the year. Yep. One of the best years ever. He ended up 27-10. and 10. Wow. Yeah. And the Phillies were awful. Yeah. Got better, though. They did get better for him yep. eventually. Yeah, they got much better. Yeah, they won the World Series in 1980. Now they started <clears throat> to get some players in there. Yep, yep. I actually have an autographed ball of the Phillies from that year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. September 30th, during the Pirates 5 to nothing went over the Mets at Pittsburgh's Three River Stadium. Roberto Clemente hits a double off of New York John Matlack in the fourth inning to get his 3,000 and final regular season hit in the majors. And he did reach, yep. yeah, he did reach 3,000 hits. And, um, you know, and then he had tragedy later on in that year. With I him. remember that when that happened. That was terrible. Yeah, plane going down, and um, he was on a relief mission. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, sad as all heck. You know, what can you say there? Almost like the Kobe Bryant thing almost, right? Yeah. The difference here is he was the sad part, even wor made it worse, was he was on a relief mission to help people, and this is what happened to him. But, uh, right. you know, just one of the greats of all time, and I'll never forget how he used to, you know, get that ball from right field and throw it to third base on a dime. He did. He had a cannon, and you couldn't run on him. You always had to be careful on sack. I mean, the guy could hit, let no doubt, but the guy right. was a great fielder. And he was a five-tool. You know, we talk about five-tool guys. That's what he was, yep. Roberto Clemente. And 
Let's see, October 2nd in the first game of a doubleheader at Jerry Park. Bill Stoneman of the Montreal Expos no-hits the Mets 7-0. And, um, you know, the Expos didn't have a good team, but Bill Stoneman was probably the best guy on their team back then. Yeah. <clears throat> and the funny thing about this place, Jerry Park, I'll never forget this, it was such a lot. La- I mean, it was a park. They played in a park. It wasn't a real stadium. And they had a swimming pool right over the right over right field. There was a swimming pool. And anytime somebody hit a home run, they hit it right into the swimming pool. <laughs> and it goes to show you how much people really cared about baseball in uh, well, Montreal at the yeah. time. Yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of stadiums back then did double duty. Yeah. You, know, you had football and baseball. Right. Now you, that's unheard of. Yeah. I couldn't stand watching a football game like on the baseball diamond, right? Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, but that's what happened because they had to share time and during the season. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we go to the we go to the World Series. The Oakland Athletics won Game Two of the '72 American League Championship Series, five nothing over the Tigers. A key moment from that game occurred when Oakland's Bergkamp and Aris, who was having a great series, hurled. I remember this one hurled the bat at Loren Legro. Camp and Aris was fine and suspended for the rest of the series. That was the first time I ever saw that in a baseball game. Yep. Yeah, built uh, Bergkamp and Aris. Probably one of the. I wouldn't expect a guy like Bergkamp and Aris to do that. Right, right. He's a feisty little shortstop, though, yeah, right? He's a little feisty guy. Yeah, right. October 11th, the Pittsburgh Pirates carry. This is this. I'll never forget this one. This is another great memory. The Pittsburgh Pirates carry a lead into the bottom of the ninth of the final game of the NLCS. The Reds Johnny bench homers to tie the game. And then after some runners reach base, the Pirates pitcher Bob Moose unleashes a wild pitch, permit, permit, uh, allowing the pennant clinching run to score. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Losing the pennant a on a wild pitch. Down, but, but it's good for the Reds. Good for the Reds, right. And then the Oakland A's start their run. Um in the World Series with a 3-2 victory in Game 7 over the Reds, Gene Tennis, also known as Gino Tenace, if you want to pronounce it in Italian, I guess, who <laughs> yeah, who had only five home runs in the regular season, hit four in the series, and was named MVP. That's something, huh? Yeah. Well, that was a great team. I'm trying to think. You had Joe Rudy. Yep. Jackson. Yep. Well, the, the other catcher on that team was Dave Duncan, Jeff right? And... Yeah, let's see if we can uh, – let's try to go around the horn and see how we do, right? So you had Gene – I used to know all that. Gino Tenet – yeah, Gino Tenace, and you had um, Dave – Well, he also caught too, though. He did. And Dave Duncan. Dave Duncan and him. Right. And then Dave Duncan becomes that big pitching coach all those years. Sal Bando. Third base, Sal Bando. Campy. You had Dick Green at second. Dick Green. And then you yeah. had like Don Mincher, like at first with uh, Mike Epstein. Mike Epstein era, yeah. Yep. And then the outfit, you had Reggie Jackson, Joe Rudy, and Angel Pepe Mangual. Yeah, who, who came after that? Claude L. Washington. Then you had Claude L. Washington. You had Bill, remember Bill North? Bill North, that's who I was trying to think. 
Yeah, yeah. Cloydell Washington came on later. They had a great team, and then pitching. You had, yeah, like you said, you had Catfish Hunter, you had Vita Blue, you had Blue Moon Odom. Blue Moon Odom, you had Riley Fingers. Right, Ken Holtzman. Ken Holtzman. Elias Sosa in the bullpen. You had Daryl Knowles in the bullpen. That team was loaded. Yep. Great team. And they all had mustaches, right, because they got more money? Yep. The swinging A's. The swinging A's. The most valuable player that year in 1972 was Dick Allen of the White Sox. Had a great year. He did. He, 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 he beat his own drum. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody want to mess. You wouldn't want to mess with Dick Allen either, though. Mm-mm. No. Um, Johnny Bench wins the MVP in the, uh, in the National League. Let's so, see, I, I would say Dick Allen should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But he's not, and I don't understand that at all. Well, Harold Baines is in. Dick Allen should be in, right? Uh, Dick Allen, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not even a comparison. Right, right. Yep, and then Cy Young, Gaylord Perry from the Cleveland Indians. Steve Carlton with that huge monster season. Got the right. Cy Young, right? Rookie of the year, Carlton Fisk. Yep, and then Matlack. John Matlack, a pitcher, left lefty pitcher for the Mets, had some good years, but then all of a sudden just never to be seen again. But, yeah, he was good when he was good. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And then uh, let's see what else we have here. And then we can – let's talk about the statistical leaders. And this is Rod Carew, batting title winner in the American League. He batted 318, and that's a low average for Rod Carew. That's, yeah, that's one of his worst years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Billy Williams hit 333 and won the title in the National League. Yep. Yep. And then Dick Allen with his 37 homers and 113 RBIs took both of those crowns. And then Johnny Bench hit 40 homers and 125 RBIs in the National League. And he won those crowns. Here's another White Sox guy for you. Wins. Wilbur Wood and Gaylord Perry. Wilbur Wood. Right. 24 wins. I wonder how many he lost that year. Uh, 21. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he pitched, didn't he? He pitched both heads, both ends of a doubleheader. Once. He did, yeah. yeah. I mean, your knuckleball didn't really <clears throat> wear you out, I guess. They had, yeah. I, I think by that time they had Jim Cott also and Wilbur right. Wood. That's right. And then he had Steve Carlton with his 27 wins. And then ERA in the American League, El Tiante. Louis Tion. Yep. He was a fun guy to watch, Louis Tion. He had all those moves. He would turn his he would go he would turn his back to the plate, look up in the air and throw the ball, all kinds of crazy stuff he did. 1.91 ERA. Steve Carlton, 1.97, huh? Yeah, that's what an amazing year. It was. I mean, that's probably one of the best years for a pitcher. Yeah. 310 strikeouts for Steve Carlton, too. And Nolan Ryan had 329 for the uh, Angels. So between the two of them, they struck out over 630 players. Yeah. Crazy. A few years there in the 70s, those two were neck and neck. Yep. And for the first time, we have a new category in baseball, John. It's called saves. Yep. 
And here we go with this is probably the end of baseball, right? Start it this year. Um, and you had Sparky Lyle at 35 saves and won that title in the American League. And Clay Carroll for Cincinnati had 37. So maybe the first great, I always think of maybe Goose Gossage as being the first great reliever, but you have Sparky Lyle here maybe. You know, Gossage was with the White Sox, though. Yes, he was. Yep, before the Yankees, yeah. So was that. And, and, and uh, San Diego. That's right, afterwards, right? At San Diego when he uh, played in the World Series against the Tigers, I think in 84. Uh, and then Burke Campanaris, 52 stolen bases, and then Lou Brock who for a long time was the all-time stolen base leader uh, after before Ricky Henderson passed him, Henderson, had, yeah. had 63. And then when we look at the standings, the Tigers won the division, and they ended up losing in the playoffs to Oakland, but they only won the division by half a game over the Red Sox. Yeah. It went down to the last game of the year there, and the White Sox had a good year. They were 87 and 67, John, five games out. They did. They, that's when they started to come around. Yep. Yep. And then uh, Minnesota was 77 and 77, 500 there. And then you had um, the Pirates. Yeah, the Pirates, 96 and 59, won over the Cubs again. The Cubs have been a second place team so far the whole decade, second, third place team. And then Cincinnati had 95 wins, but, you know, they couldn't beat the A's in the World Series. Right. So there it is. There's, yeah, so there's 70, 71, and 72. So, John, before we wrap up, what do you think are some of the biggest takeaways? Just, you know, one of them, I think, is just the enormous amount of, like, Hall of Fame players that have played in those those years we mentioned. Yeah, baseball was a little bit different back then. You had, uh, I honestly think from that era, those guys were a lot tougher. Yeah. A lot tougher, and uh, by, you know, they really didn't have a choice either. I mean, that's the way the game no, you, is played. You didn't see a guy go out uh, on the disabled list for a hangnail for four weeks. No. No, you. Those guys played. Or putting on his trousers, right? Four days, and they pitched way into the late innings of the games, almost always. Yep. And we could probably pick through this and find several records that will probably never be broken. One is having four 20-game winners. Right. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And Competitive baseball, some fantastic teams. And um, looking forward to uh, continuing this with you again. And we'll, and we'll take year 73 to 75. Yeah, sounds great. Having a good time. Good. Good, John. And uh, memory lane here. Memory lane, yeah, why not? Why not talk a little bit of old baseball, you know? Yeah. Yep. So, John, um, we'll, we'll talk again before your show comes on, but, but watch out for John King's show back on WVLP, Living It Up with John King, Thursday nights from 7 to 9. And I know you're going to get a replay too, right? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere. Yep. All right, John, great having you on, and I can't wait for the next show. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch the Fan Man Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other platforms. Thanks again. Check out our Twitter page at the underscore fan underscore man underscore and tell me what you think.